0: All right, we're in Luke. Believe it or not, we've made it to chapter 16. You must be excited. I think we started this in 1966, didn't we? And uh, We'll get through it. You know, uh, Luke chapter 16 follows a similar pattern. Jesus will attempt to uh, start a lesson to his disciples, which I find the most interesting uh, myself, because I feel like they're directed at me which is what we're going to look at today. Now, most guys, when I saw them preach on this, they preached on the whole chapter, but I, I, I can't keep you that long. The smell of turkey would never let me continue. So chapter 16 follows a similar pattern to previous chapters, uh, and you'll notice it begins with an and, and and. the commentators feel like that means it's all in the same time. Uh, there are other words that Luke would use to, to differentiate a different time, uh, from the previous chapter. So we think, uh, they think, that this is a continuation from the last chapter. Not that it matters. Uh, now he begins this chapter with a message to his disciples. And just as always before, a Pharise- this is about money. Uh, and uh, a Pharisee comes along and he gets offended by it. And the Pharisees are rolling their eyes and Jesus turns to them and does the second half of this chapter, which we'll do in two weeks, Lord willing. Uh, and that begins with a subject of divorce and then goes on to the, uh, prodigal, the parable of the prodigal son, which should probably be called the, par- the parable of the spoiled brat that stayed home or something like that because it's actually more about the Pharisees than it is about the prodigal, you know. Now, this entire chapter, and I, I hope you'll go home and read it a couple of times this week, should make us all stop and think carefully about our attitude towards money. And I'm relying heavily on a lot of what Stephen Cole wrote, A.T. Robertson and Jameson and Fawcett Brown. Uh, so I, I try to give them credit. So you don't think this is all coming out of my head. It's not. Uh, so we start off here, if I can figure out where my mouse is residing. Uh, we start off here with verse one. And he said also unto his disciples, there was a certain rich man. Now you remember I said before, I think it's, uh, uh, anyway, uh, I forgot his name now. Uh, said that when it, when when you don't have a specific name, it's a parable. If you have a specific name, very likely it's somebody that lives in the community. You know, and there was also to his disciples. There was a certain rich man which had a steward, and the same was accused unto him. Accused unto him. I, I hope you see that it means he wasn't accusing the steward. Somebody outside of the community or somebody who knew what was going on brought this information to the boss. And the steward was accused. It was accused unto him that he had wasted his goods. Now, the first thing I read about this, and I can't remember who I read it from or give him credit, is this is a difficult parable to understand. And it's difficult on a number of levels. Uh, One is it talks about stewardship and being a fiduciary. I don't even know if I said that word correctly. But if I'm a fiduciary, and I guess I am for this church, it means everything I do should be to your benefit and not my own. All right, That's the role of a steward. I'm kind of like God's steward here. And I'm responsible to God for everything I do. Well, the same thing is true for all of us that serve in the kingdom of God. We are fiduciaries. We cannot take from the kingdom for our own benefit. We work for God. It's, it's required of a steward, Paul wrote, that a man be found faithful. You are required by God to be faithful to and with everything that he has given you. It is his house, his money, his truck, his car, his boat, his, his wife, his children, his husband. And our responsibility is to put the benefit of God first in our lives and in their lives. So it's a fiduciary relationship that this steward is supposed to have with his boss, which apparently he does not have because it says here he's wasting his goods. Now, I, I didn't spend a lot of time on wasted and I probably should have because I don't know if he was giving this stuff away or if he was using it for himself or if he was stealing it. See, there's, there's a difference in how he's mistreating uh, this boss's uh, this boss's property. The, the, the same is true for us. There's different ways we can cheat God, you know. And we have to ask ourselves, are we being faithful with all that God has given us to promote the benefits of his kingdom here on earth? That, that's, what this is, that's what this is about. And as Jesus goes to explain this, honestly, it gets complicated. Uh, so I apologize for that. I apologize for the Holy Spirit. I'm sure he needs my support, you know, and I say that as a joke. But this farmer or this businessman, we don't know if he's the guy growing the crops or the middleman. It doesn't really say. It just says he was a rich man. So my guess is he's a middleman. He's made a lot of money off the farms and he's got a manager working under him. And the manager calls this guy in and he said, I'm hearing. uh, How is it that I hear this of you? Give me an account of thy stewardship. For thou mayest be no longer steward. Wow, I need to see your books. I need to see. I'm hearing that you're stealing from me. And then the steward said within himself Uh oh, what am I going to do? For my Lord taketh away from me the stewardship. I cannot dig. River What does he mean? I cannot dig. Well, the word means to dig. I don't know what else to say. It means to dig. I, I guess. I guess he thought his only ability was in being a criminal, swindling his boss. He certainly has no other skills except that as a crook. And I can't go out and just dig ditches. I, I didn't know that was an occupation in Israel in those days. But and to beg, I am ashamed. I don't know why I'd be ashamed. Uh, if he's willing to steal, he should be able to, to do anything, you know. I cannot dig. I cannot dig. be ashamed. So, what am I going to do? What am I going to do now? Now, the interesting thing is he's not interested in defending himself. That, that's the way it'll be for us, by the way, at, at, when we meet God and, and it's reward time. We're, we're not going to defend ourselves. You know, Paul tells us that there'll be those of us that actually have no fruit whatsoever to offer to the Lord and will be saved, but so as be fire as so as by fire, and that all all of our works that we did for the wrong reasons and with the wrong attitude and in the wrong way, everything that we did, quote unquote, did for Jesus in the wrong way and the wrong attitude will be burned up and will be saved, Paul said, so as by fire. You know, well, being saved so as by fire fire is a whole lot better than not being saved at all. Uh, But still, you really would like to hear the Lord say to us, well done, thou good and faithful servant enter down to the joy of the Lord, rather than when you walk into heaven's gates, have the people turn around so they don't have to look at you because they're ashamed of our behavior. And certainly we don't want that to happen. So then he gets it in his head, I am resolved what to do. That when I am put out of the stewardship, I love that, when I am put out of stewardship, he knows as soon as the book's He's been cooking the books for so long, he knows he's caught, see. And and they may receive me into their houses. Uh, This idea comes to him in a burst. Oh, I know what to do. Uh, I've got it. I'll see to it now. It's a sudden solution. And he decides to put the debtors to his master under his own obligation. He, He decides to give away some of the master's good to make other people owe him money. He's about to be homeless and unemployed. He can't face the idea of working for a living, so he decides to create multiple homes in which he could stay. And I find this interesting. But I guess I guess he's he's more comfortable with it than I would be. If 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 I lost my house for one reason or another, uh I know there are people in, in this church that would give me a room to stay in. You know, I'm confident of that. And the same thing is true for you. If you lost your home. I have rooms in my house. You'd be welcome to stay in. That's the way the church family is. Nonetheless, even though I hadn't done anything wrong, or you haven't done anything wrong, we're not comfortable staying in one another's homes. And this guy's planning this. But I guess he's been living in his boss's home for so long, he's probably used to sponging off of others. But I would be uncomfortable doing what he's doing. You know. But he's planning when, not if... So he, he, he's admitting his own guilt, at least to himself. I'm put out of the stewardship. They may receive me into their houses. So he, he's planning ahead. He's going to live in everybody's house that owes him money. So it, it, I don't even know if they're going to end up owing any money. And you're going to have to decide that for yourself because I never figured it out. It almost, it's almost like an unwritten debt. Uh, they know it, but they're not. no one's talking about it. So he called every one of his Lord's debtors unto him, and I'm assuming that's one at a time, and he said unto the first, how much owest thou unto my Lord? Now that word Lord, capital L O, I mean, sorry, lowercase L-O-R-D means sir. And this is one of the complications of this passage is that the Greek text was written in all capitals. Uh, Now in this case, context determines this was his boss. Lord means boss, lords means sir, lord means uh, master, Lord means God. So <laughs> this depends on the context. In this context, and that's going to get us in trouble later, and that's the reason I'm bringing it up now. Uh, how much owest thou unto my Lord, my boss? And he, that's the debtor, said unto the steward, a hundred measures, batus, of oil. Interestingly, uh, I didn't know this, but that's a Greek word that was simply spelled with, he- I mean, it was a Hebrew word that was simply spelled with uh, Greek letters. So it's what's called transliterated. That was just transliterated from the, from the, uh, Hebrew. And the word, the the root word is bath. I just think it's interesting. That's probably where we get our word bath from. You know, a big pot of oil, you know. And he said unto him, take your bill, take your, your debt bill, sit down and quickly write 50. So he's, he's skimming off what the guy owes. Now, a measure of oil is eight or nine gallons. A hundred measures is between 800 and 900 gallons of oil. Now, if this was uh, engine oil, which it's not, that'd be a different price. But this is probably olive oil. So I went on Amazon and I looked up what a gallon of regular, not high test, olive oil costs. You know, Not extra version or anything special. It's $42 a gallon. So this guy owed $42,000 in our standards today. And the guy says, quickly, this is a secret arrangement, right half. So he just skimmed 21000 right off the top. And then he said to another brother, let me get you up there, how much owe us thou? And he said, a hundred measures of wheat. Now that's a mistake too. I did that wrong. I just realized that as I'm reading this. A hundred measures of wheat. And he said to him, well, maybe I didn't. And he said unto him, "Take thy bill and write fourscore." I don't know why he didn't have that, but two thirds. Now again, this is a Hebrew word brought over into the Greek "chorus," a word for dry measure. The Hebrew word "kor," the root of this Greek word, is about ten bushels. So he owed the master about a thousand bushels of wheat. Now the the the, the Current price of wheat in this country right now, November sixteenth, twenty twenty-two, is eight dollars and sixty-nine point five four cents per bushel, or eight dollars and point six nine five four. I, I don't know why they need thousands of a penny, but I guess if you're measuring millions of bushels, it, it makes a difference. I don't know, but anyway, he owed the, the rich he owed the rich man, the boss, about eight thousand seven hundred dollars, and when he reduced it by by a third. It was reduced to five thousand two hundred seventeen dollars, and the idea, of course, being that this these guys would be beholden to this this unjust, this criminal, this this steward, uh, and he would somehow have an end with them. That's that's what he was hoping. Now the problem comes in the next verse for everyone, not just me. I mean, it's interesting to watch uh, how many different. In fact, one of the things I did is I I just Googled uh, Luke 16, 8, and looked at all the different translations, and the translators themselves can't decide who the Lord is here. Now, the Lord, the Lord, the Lord, all along has been the boss, but I don't think it is in this verse. First of all, I don't think his boss commended him. Now, people say, well, that can't be Jesus. Jesus isn't going to commend an unjust steward, but he is. And the boss isn't going to say, you know, the, the boss could say, well, oh, you're a crooked little devil. You're pretty sneaky, you know, which is really what the word wisely means. All right. But I'm convinced in verse 8, the boss, the, the, the rich man did not say the children of this world are in their generation wiser than the children of light. That just sounds like Jesus to me. And every verse after that is Jesus talking. So I'm going to tell you that I think, and the Lord is, and the Lord Jesus commended the unjust steward. Now, he wasn't saying, boy, you're a great crook. You know, he's just saying, you're a tricky little devil, right? He's not. Wisdom here, the word for wise uh, is frawny, Ross. And it means discreet. It means cautious. It denotes intelligence in a bad sense. Wise as in crafty. So basically, Jesus said, this guy was a sneaky little crook. And the children of this world are in their generation wiser than the children of light. Now, I don't remember who wrote it. I remember reading a commentator. I didn't put it down in here. And he said, you know, there's nothing really. I think the word he used was dumber than a new Christian in business. Uh, because, you know, as a brand new Christian, we think everybody's great and everybody's going to be honest and everybody's going to be this and everybody's going to be that. And, you know, we take on partners with uh, people that aren't uh, born-again believers and we, we end up just messing everything up because we're just so gullible. I don't want to say dumb twice, you know, we're just so dumb that we, uh, we actually let people get away with that. And then after we've walked in Christ for 10 or 15 or 20 years, we start to realize this world is a difficult place. But children, and, and, and I believe Jesus is saying, you know, look at this guy and understand that the people in this world are craftier uh, than the people who are in my kingdom. You know? Now, I don't think Jesus is teaching us to be crooks and swindlers. But I do think he's telling us we need to be shrewd in our handling of our money. You know, I think, you know, you come to this church and you put money in that plate and that's great. I mean, I don't want to discourage that. Don't get me wrong. Uh, But at the same time, you better be asking, where is it going? And is this money being used correctly? And is this being valued correctly? I can't imagine how many millions and millions, probably billions of dollars have been tossed into baskets for churches. And no one even knew where the money was going. You know, and I hear about these preachers with big estates and they've got airplanes and they've got all this other stuff. Oh, yeah, i got a sailboat so yeah, I fit in that category. How much of your money went into that sailboat? That's a good question to ask. You know, you need to be wise in the handling of your resources because they're not your resources. They belong to God. And God is going to call you to account of the resources he gave you. You're responsible to him. You're not responsible to me. So, I mean, I might give him and give a big sad, sad story and get a lot of money on the plate, but the question is, is that true? Or am I just a swindler or a crook? That's what you need to know. So, I don't think he's teaching us to be crooks. He's telling us to be careful, to be cautious, to be intelligent with his resources. You know, the whole idea of the steward, the steward is just managing property or managing something. For a boss. And that's exactly who we are. We're stewards in God's kingdom. Now this is Jesus speaking to us. And I say unto you. Now remember he started off. He said unto his disciples. Remember now the Pharisees are standing around. And I'm sure there's a little hubbub going on all around. them Because the Pharisees love money. That's where we're going to end. We're going to end with the verses. And the Pharisees they love their money. You know and I say unto you. Disciples make unto yourselves friends. Of the mammon of unrighteousness. What an odd expression that when ye fail, now that's a whole question about the translation of that verse because about half of the translations have when you fail and the other half have when it fails. All right? So when you fail, I guess means fall on your face dead, you know, when when you cease to exist and go into, the heav- into heaven or when it fails, when the monetary system collapses, they, ooh, who are they, may receive you into everlasting habitation. So he's talking about When we arrive in heaven, I think, you know, now, you know, the the new living Bible says when your possessions are gone, The, the King James version and the new king has when ye fail. Other translations have when it fails. So there's some discrepancy about what exactly it's talking about, but it doesn't matter. Because our money's going to collapse. I mean, it seems like the government's working on that very hard right now. Our monetary system is going to collapse. But not only that, we're going to collapse. We're going to collapse. And we'll answer to God for what happens, you see. And as much as money can be used for evil, and it, it is used for evil, and as much as money corrupts us when we have it, the simple truth is we have to use money. And I, I want to differentiate, if I could, and I don't think I, I can legitimately do that, but I want to differentiate between the word money and mammon, all right? Uh, but I probably shouldn't because it's used interchangeably. But mammon is an Aramaic word that refers to riches. It can refer to just money. But I, I, I almost think of unrighteous mammon as the, produce, per, the uh, pursuit of wealth, whereas Serving the kingdom is the pursuit of the kingdom. We all have to have money. You know, I remember when we were talking about coming up here and my pastor in Tennessee said, well, even, even your little girls need, need clothes to wear. You know, we were talking about the church. I think the church was paying me $50 a week when I came here. And he was talking about I'm going to have to work and I didn't want to take time away from the church. He said, well, even your kids need clothes. And I think, you know, it's true. That's what Jesus is saying. The simple truth is we all have to use money. In our world, there's no avoiding it. So we must find ways to use it for the kingdom of God and not get so caught up in the acquisition of money that we get selfish like this steward and start to thinking about our own, you know, our own retirement as opposed to God. Now the problem is the Bible does tell us to provide not only for ourselves and for our old age, we need to provide for our next generation. So there's nothing wrong with saving money. I'm not saying that. The question is you need to ask yourself, and it's personal, it's in between you and the Lord, am I doing correctly with the the stuff, the money, the facilities, and the items that you've given me, Lord? That's the question. Now the idea is you know, Stephen Cole said mammon comes from the Aramaic word meaning riches. But we need money to live. But the pursuit of wealth will ruin us. That's the difference. I'd, I'd love to talk. I'd love to separate the word money from mammon and say mammon is the pursuit of riches. It's not fair. It's not a fair translation. But in my in my mind, that's the context. Money, mammon, money which the world uses, this is Stephen Cole, for unrighteous purposes, but which believers can use for God's purposes. Jesus means that just as the unrighteous steward used his master's money to make friends for himself, so that when he got fired, they would welcome into their homes, so we, Stephen Cole, we should use our master's money to make friends for ourselves In heaven. Well, that's an odd interpretation. But he says, into everlasting habitations. Now, A.T. Robertson agrees with that interpretation. He's a hundred years before. And he writes, the purpose is that those who have been blessed and helped by the money may give welcome to their benefactors when they reach heaven. That's A. T. Robertson's interpretation. He's probably the greatest Greek scholar that has ever lived. That's his interpretation of that verse. There is, however, A.T. adds, uh, no thought here of purchasing an entrance into heaven by the use of money. It's it's really just saying you're going to meet somebody. You know, I'm a little uncomfortable with the amount of money that went into Operation Christmas Child. And a lot of money went into that. But I'm going to walk into heaven one day and somebody's going to come up to me we will know, and Paul said, even as we are known. Someone's going to come up to me and going to say, thank you for my Christmas tree box that brought me to the Lord. And I'm going to say, oh, you're welcome. It was all my idea. <laughs> it wasn't. I hope I wouldn't say that. But that's the point. Thank you for that missionary that you sent down to my home country that I could hear the story about Jesus Christ and come to the Lord. It's kind of going to be interesting to get into heaven and find out all the people that were influenced by people that we've influenced who influenced others and see all those connections. I know they talk about how many people Dwight L. Moody won to the Lord. And you have to remember it was a shoe salesman that won him to the Lord. Who gets the credit? The Holy Spirit, of course. God gets. God always gets the credit. But it's nice to see how those webs, those entanglements grow, isn't it? Now, so the point is of this, this, this is Jesus speaking to us is we are responsible to how our resources are used. And we must take care and prayer to determine they're used for the right purposes. And we need to have a heavenly mind towards the expenditure of our money. Now, I don't mean our kids don't have to go to college. See, I don't mean that. I just mean we need to ask ourselves, we need to ask the Holy Spirit, is this right? Is this money that I give the church? Is it going to the right causes? Is this the right thing to do? It, should I be supporting this missionary? You know? That, that's the point. Now, the next point, Jesus makes about money. Well, I guess I, I didn't do this. I should have titled each of these sections. The first one is, Where is your money going? See? And then the next point is in verse 10, he said, He that is faithful in that which is least is faithful also in much. And he that is unjust in the least is also unjust in much. If therefore you have not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon, who will commit your trust to true riches? Each of us must ask ourselves the question, am I managing the resources of God has entrusted me with a view towards giving an account someday in light of his purpose here on earth? God is a generous, this is Stephen Cole, and gracious Father. So it is not wrong to enjoy the many things beyond the bare essentials. But if we grasp the concept of concept of faithful stewardship and accountability, our focus will not be on our own financial success, but rather on the financial success of God's enterprise, namely the gospel. Is is the gospel going out into the world? I think there's a whole lot more than just the gospel, but I think that's certainly the first step of kingdom action. Now, I, I think this was cold again. He says the ironic, ironic thing is we're 100% certain to lose all the money we accumulate on this earth. It will fail. So it will fail fits in that verse. You are 100% certain, however, to keep all the rewards you've laid up in heaven. And that's what Jesus says. Don't lay up for yourselves treasures on the earth where moth and rust doth corrupt, up, but lay yourself up treasures in heaven. You know, Jim Elliott, I, I, the favorite, when when I first became a Christian, one of the earliest books I read was Jim Elliott on, uh, well, I read Through Gates of Splendor first, which was his wife's first book, and then the second one she published his journal. And in his journal he writes, He is no fool who gives away that which he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. And that, that stuck with me for years. I probably repeated that phrase of Jim Elliott's a thousand times in this church i did not know however that that uh, henry i can't read his first name i wrote it down in a scribble so much it starts with an a, it might be allen i can't read it i'm sorry i'm going to say Alan henry was first credited with that statement allen i don't A-L-L-E-N, that's probably what it is, I'll tell you what. You know when you get old you can't write anymore, that's really interesting. Uh, Anyway, Alan Henry, I'm going to say A. Henry, that's the safest thing to do, the A is definite. Uh, His son was Matthew, 1662, Matthew Henry, who wrote the Matthew Henry Commentary, which if you've ever read them all, you know there's an awful lot that Matthew Henry wrote. Anyway, his father is originally quoted to this verse. There's also a Puritan, Thomas Adams, who said, who is credited with this verse, to part with what we cannot keep, that we may get what we cannot lose is a good bargain. It is. So the second point, of course, of Jesus is, are you being faithful with what God has given you? And Jesus says, this is his point. If you have not been faithful in that which is another man's, who in the world is going to give you more? You know, you're not going to get another job. Earthly wealth is ours as a loan. It's a trust withdrawn at at any moment. And then Jesus concludes with a familiar statement that he says, oftentimes, no servant can serve two masters. For either will hate the one and love the other or else they will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and riches. I like translating mammon riches here because, you know, there's a lot of us that chase riches. We want to be wealthy. You know, I, I, I don't remember where I first heard it, but you hear this echoed over and over in churches. How parents will encourage their kids to go to school and get a good job so they can make a lot of money and have a good life. That's my wish for my children. I want them to have a good education and a good job so they can make a good living and have a good life. But in that formula, we forget the fact that rich is corrupt. And the definition of a good life is entirely different from Mm -hmm. making a lot of money. A lot of people make a lot of money and they don't have a good life. I'd rather have my kids be poor and happy and know the Lord and walk with the Lord I'd rather to have them a shorter life and walk with the Lord than a longer life and not walk with the Lord. you know. And you want to encourage them not to make lots of money. You want to encourage them to walk with the Lord and do what he says. I mean, that's really the point. We can either serve one or the other, Jesus said, God or money. But we can't serve both. So we have to make a decision. This decision in our lives of who we're going to, Who we're going to serve. You know, we often think, you know, I get a lot of money. I can do anything I want to do. Well, first of all, if you get a lot of money, the money's going to dictate what you do. It's amazing how many people have a lot of money and they spend all their time serving that money, protecting it, keeping it safe, trying to make more, trying to move it from this investment to that investment, worrying about this and that. And I, I can't imagine what the life of a millionaire must be like. Clearly, this unrighteous steward was living for money, but the disciples of Jesus should be serving God. They should not be focusing on money, and yet money is our method of serving God. So we do need to think about it. So the point is that Jesus makes here is either God owns us, including our money, or the money owns us. As at no point do we own the money. You know, those are our only choices. Most of us would like to think that there's some middle ground. We could sort of be rich and effective for the kingdom, or we could be rich and on our own, but it seems like we never have enough money to where we have to, we're have able to be free and stop serving it. We always end up serving the money that we have. Well, listening to this message, of course, was the Pharisees. And we're going to turn now, but I'm stopping. We're going to turn now in this chapter to the Pharisees who were all around the circle, rolling their eyes. It says, and the Pharisees who were covetous heard all these things and they derided him. So the next message from Jesus is going to be towards the Pharisees and their covetousness. And you'll recall that Paul said that was one of his biggest sins was covetousness. He said, I had not known, thou shalt not covet. Without the law, he struggled with it too. The desire for more, the itch for a little bit more. And I remember, I think it was George Jackson in Egypt was talking about the definition of covetousness isn't that I want this church to pay me 10 times as much. Covetousness is the desire for just a little bit more. Just a little bit more. You know, I'm making $100 a week. Boy, if I just had $125 a week, I could make do on that. That's covetousness. I started teaching a couple of years ago. At $125, no, $115 a week, and I used to think, boy, if I could just get up to $150 a week, I'd be golden. You know, that's covetousness. That's what it is. And I, I built that sailboat, you know. Always trying to save money. I built that sailboat and I launched it and I was so happy with it. One day I was all excited and I was talking to the owner of the marina who's since dead. Peter Martin is his name. And I was talking to Peter and he was asking me about my boat. And I said, yeah, I love it. It's great, you know. Uh, it's great. And I, and I said, you know, I got the plans for a 42-footer. And, and uh, he looked at me and he said, so you're just like all of us. Huh? He knew I was a preacher. He said, you're just like all of us. huh?" And I said, what do you mean? You just want a little bigger boat, and that that words of George Jackson echoed in my head. Just just a little bigger boat, you know. I don't need a sixty footer, just a forty footer, you know. And boy, I'll tell you, it's like he took a knife and stuck it right in my heart. Boy, you are right, Peter. I'm just as covetous as every boat owner in this marina. And I I used to ride out to my I kept my boat at, at a mooring instead of the dock when I was younger. I used to ride out there, and there was a sailboat out there called Contentment. I thought, what a beautiful name for a boat, Contentment. And it was there probably five years while I was in that marina. I've been in that marina a long time. And one day I rode out there and there was a sign on it that said, for sale. And I thought, how do you sell a boat you named Contentment? Contentment for sale. But we all do it, don't we? Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for all the labor and love's gone into all of these meals. And thank you, Lord for all your provisions for us. As we think about all our resources that belong to you, we're reminded, Lord, of how much you've given us. And we're reminded of all those men and women who've laid down their lives to make this nation possible, who have followed you and served you and created a government by the people. As you directed, Lord, and we we thank you, Lord, for the freedoms that we enjoy and the wealth and prosperity that following your dictates provides for us. And we thank you for that. For this is our time of remembrance of thanksgiving. And we thank you for the children that you've given us. We thank you, Father, for the parents that you've given us, for the life that you've given us. Help us, Lord, to just rejoice in all you've laid on us. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.